Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that he has, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had, have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is God's word. Thank you, Leo. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to be with you. And I really mean that. I don't just say it as a filler uh, when I walk up here. Uh, I, I was getting together with a good old friend this weekend, and they asked me, you know, like, what's one of the things you're enjoying the most in your life right now? And well, I mean, the, toward the top of my list was I just I'm so grateful for my church family. And it felt really good to be able to say that. It made me, gave me a lot of joy to be able to say that. And so I just love getting to worship with you guys. Uh, on on Sunday, and hopefully it's reciprocal a little bit for some of you. So um, for those of you who are new, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, and regardless of what your spiritual background is, we're really glad that you're here. And our most common way of preaching here is we just go through books of the Bible, just first five verse, and see what God has to teach us. And so we're in the book of Hebrews right now, and the main theme of Hebrews is persevere, draw near, do it together. So persevere in faith, draw near to Christ, and do it together. So this is a community effort. And uh, what we're looking at today, this is a pretty well-known passage in the scriptures, is we're looking at this theme of persevere, draw near, do it together through the lens of faith. Uh, this, this chapter answers the question, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? 
And this is important because this question, this is foundational to understanding reality. And not only that, but implicit throughout all of Hebrews is this is how we persevere, John, and you do together, is through faith. And so what's helpful about this section is, because, you know, if you were to ask 10 people in the church, outside the church, you know, what is faith? You'd probably get 10 different answers if you asked 10 different people. Like, faith can be ambiguous. And so this helps us put our hands around around it, right? So just what does it mean to have faith? And so uh, what we'll see in this passage, there's so much in here. I mean, churches will spend three months on this one chapter alone, so we're not going to look at everything. But uh, we see that faith is at least these three things, and these are primary themes in this chapter. And we see that uh, faith is thoughtful, it's tangible, and it's transformative. Okay, so faith is, it's thoughtful, it's tangible, and it's transformative, okay? I didn't set out to do alliteration, and so for those of you who love alliteration, there you go. Uh, For those of you who, every time you hear a preacher use alliteration, you think they're trying to scam you, have no fear, okay? All right, so first number one, faith is, it's thoughtful. So let's start with verse one, and this kind of puts an umbrella over the whole chapter. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Now, the key here is this word assurance. Uh, One of the ways you can translate the word assurance is substance. So the verse can read, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a very appropriate way to read that verse. Now, so your hope is what you're placing your confidence in. And so what it's saying, faith is the substance of the thing you place your confidence in. Essentially what this is saying here is, When you live by faith, what you're doing is you're ensuring that the main thing you're placing the base of your, basis of your life on, the main things you're hoping for in the future, you have good reasons for, for believing it. You have good reasons for placing your, your hope in this thing. And so, for example, if you have a couple who are dating, right? So what is going to take them from, we go on a few dates from time to time to, we're getting married next week? Hopefully, what will happen is each person is going to look at the other and ask questions like, is this person a person of substance, right? Are they the same person in private as they are in public? Are they self-absorbed or not? Uh, have, they, have they proven themselves, not just in the good times, but in the bad times as well? Can I trust my life to this person, right? They want to make sure this person is someone of substance before they place their confidence, essentially their life in that person, and that's what it's saying here. Um, the scriptures no more call you to, you know, the scriptures don't call you to, when you hear faith, it doesn't mean blind leap in the dark. Okay? God no more calls you to, you know, trust Jesus with your life in, in the same way that he wouldn't call you to marry someone that you just met yesterday. So as you look at Jesus in, in the Lord, you need to be asking questions like, is God really who he says he is, or is he just someone based off of, you know, some assumptions I have? Uh, is his word is revealed in the Bible, is that reliable in 2022 and not just the year 50 AD? You know, is God trustworthy even when things in his word or things that I think about him seem to run against what I'm experiencing right now? We, ne- we need to think of Jesus as actually someone of substance and worth putting our trust in. So the point here is, is that thoughtfulness should be a quality of every single believer. We should all be thoughtful And I say this, first, because this is what the verse is saying, but second, because depending on your church background, or maybe you're here exploring the faith and just talking with other believers, sometimes there's this idea 
that faith shouldn't be thoughtful and it should be maybe just kind of a vague, subjective, um, you know, conviction that you have. And, or in, in some place, whether it's Christian colleges or churches, you know, you may hear things like, don't ask questions. You need, you need to just have faith. But here, it's not saying that at all. And the reason why it's so important that we are thoughtful people when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to God's word, is this idea of, oh, just have faith, don't ask questions, that can work until one of a few things happens. One, maybe you meet a, you meet a series of very kind, generous, smart, thoughtful people who aren't believers, and they give you an alternate account of the world. And suddenly it's like, oh, wow, these are in many ways more wise and moral people than me, and they're giving me, you know, many reasons why I shouldn't be believing what I believe. Do I have a foundation? Or another way this, you know, it doesn't really work is when tragedy hits. Um, I've seen so many people where, you know, they are very outwardly passionate about Jesus, but then when severe tragedy hits their life, their faith crumbles because they never actually, they never had really good reasons for trusting God. And so as we think about, you know, being, being thoughtful people, just, you know, one application here is this is why it's so important for you to ask questions. Like, if you've been a believer for 20 years, it is no shame to ask questions. In fact, that shows you're exercising Hebrews 11.1. 1. You're being thoughtful, because oftentimes church communities or just groups of Christian friends aren't environments where it's seen as mature to ask questions, we have to do that with each other, okay? Because often what happens is someone has questions, they don't have an environment where they can ask it, so then they, they go to the internet, they go somewhere else, and then they walk away. So we need to be a place where it's encouraged to ask, you know, even offensive questions or elementary-seeming questions about the faith. And the second thing here is we think about, you know, being thoughtful people is sort of the theme for our church this year is witness, you know, just bearing witness to Jesus with people in our lives. You know, one of the one of the top reasons, I think, for why we don't speak explicitly about Jesus to other people in our lives is because there's a fear there, right, that they may ask a question that either, A, we don't know the answer to, uh, or we do know the answer, but we're pretty sure they're not going to like the answer. <laughs> but as you think about this idea of being thoughtful, as you bear witness and you get a question that either you don't know the answer to, or you're like, hmm, I actually, I actually haven't thought of a way of how to articulate this so someone outside the faith will see this as beautiful. It helps you become more thoughtful. Right? Like some of the best ways I've grown is by talking with people who aren't Christians. They ask me questions I haven't thought of, and it, it forces me to grow. And you're like, do I have good reasons for this? And so you can think about even bearing witness as an opportunity uh, to become a more thoughtful person uh, in your faith. And I, I think that will, you know, go a long way too with the people in your life just seeing you having the humility to do that. Okay, so that, that's the first thing, is, is faith is, it's never less than being a, a thoughtful person. It's never less than being rational, okay? So, number two, what we see here is that faith, while it's never less than being thoughtful, it's more than being thoughtful. Okay, now notice throughout this whole chapter, we're also going to be jumping to verses that weren't in the scripture reading, just by the way, because we're going to, you know, skim all of chapter 11 Notice what you see in every single example. So this chapter is an example of people living by faith. Okay, so what does that look like? Notice every single example shows people demonstrating tangible action. So verse 4, 
by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Verse 7, by faith Noah, uh, by being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark. Okay, tangible action. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was yet to receive as an inheritance. Jump down to verse 24. By faith Moses, verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, action. And then verse 27, by faith Moses left Egypt, referring to the Exodus account. Okay, so these are all tangible actions that, that people are taking. So the point here is that faith, it's, it's never just a subjective like, oh, I just have faith in Jesus. But it's, it always manifests itself in tangible action. And this is key because what authentic faith is, is it's always composed of three parts. This was really helpful for me when I learned it, and hopefully it's helpful for you. So faith is always going to have three things, and it's going to involve information, assent, and then trust. Okay, information, assent, and then trust. So, and we use this for any, for any major life decision. Okay, so an example, um, a while ago, Kelsey needed a pretty invasive reconstructive surgery on her jaw. And so we had to choose the right doctor. Not all doctors are created equal. Our first doctor tried to con us. So we finally were referenced. We were referred to a good doctor. And first we received information. Okay, so here's how the surgery is going to go. Here are the risks involved. Here's the insurance policy, you know, so on and so forth. We got information. Number two, we had to assent to this information. Okay, is it true or is it false? Okay, do we agree this is how the surgery should go and I'm aware of, you know, risks, you know, outcomes, so on and so forth. However, it wasn't until we went to the hospital and I was with Kelsey as she got on the gurney and then we both allowed her to be rolled away and be put under the anesthesia that we fully trusted the doctor. Right? We could say, oh, I believe you, I have faith in you, all we want. But until we were willing to put essentially Kelsey's life and her health in their hands, we weren't fully trusting, were we? Okay, so think about what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? First, you get information. He is fully God and fully man. He is created and rules over all things. He came to earth, fully God, fully man. He lived, died, and rose again for your sin and to give you new life. Okay, this, this is information about Jesus. Okay, number two, you need to assent to it. Okay, is this historically true? Did this actually happen? And are these the reasons that it happened? And here's the key, and I think here's where we often miss this, is up until this point, even if you have heard that information, you agree that it happened you're still not a believer. Why? You should, if you ever hear something like that, okay, you should ask why. Okay, well, the way James 2 puts it is even the demons believe this. Okay, in many ways, the demons have more conviction than we do that Jesus is fully God, fully man, created and rules over all things. Even the demons agree. You see this all throughout the gospel accounts. They know why Jesus came to earth. They know why he came to die and rise again. But they haven't what? Number three, actually entrusted their life to Jesus. They haven't bowed the knee and submitted to him and said, yes, I, I want to follow you. I want to be in God's family by grace alone. 
And so for you and me, like, what, is it, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Well, it means we need to trust Jesus. And so the first step here is always there has to come a point where you, you hear the information about Christ, right? That he actually, it's only through him that you can be adopted into God's family. But there comes a point where you hear it so many times, but eventually it has to become personal to you. you have, there has to, all of a sudden, like, the penny drops. It's like, oh, he, he died and rose for me. He's invited me to come into his kingdom. And the only way I can do that is not through my efforts or my merit, but through his alone. That's always the first step. Okay, but then after that, the way we demonstrate our trust in Jesus is by obeying him and by following his commands. Okay, and that, that's a way we demonstrate our trust in Jesus because it's through tangible action, just like every, th- every single example here. And this is why Jesus uses language, why, like why Jesus doesn't say, you need to feel really strongly about me. He says, follow me. Or in John fourteen fifteen, right? He says, if you love me, subjective experience, you keep my commandments, a tangible action. Never perfectly, we can't, but there should be progress here, right? And, and steps as we, as we move forward to do this. And so um, just a, a couple applications here as we think about, you know, faith is always exercised through trust and that will be revealed through tangible action. You know, so one challenge for you is just to, to ask yourself the question of, you know, like, is, is my faith visible? You know, so when, when people hear my speech, when people hear me talk about my goals in life, uh, if somebody were to look at my bank account and see, you know, how much do I give? How much, what do I spend my money on? How much am I saving? You know, what's my retirement philosophy? And so on and so forth. Would it be evident that you belong to a different kingdom? Or you even think about um, Harry Potter and Hermione, right? Or if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, which you should be, right? The Hobbits and the Shire. So with Harry Potter and Hermione, when they're exposed to this alternate, this unseen world, right, of Voldemort and Dumbledore and essentially like this cosmic battle between good and evil, and they're wrapped up into a story that's far bigger and deeper than they ever knew beforehand, it changed everything about them, right? And same thing with the Hobbits and the Shire, just very ordinary people, and then they get exposed to, you know, a dark lord and this cosmic battle between good and evil, and they return back home. Like with both cases, when each party like return back to, to the real world, they're kind of strange, and they no longer tick like the other people around them. Like, that's what should happen to us. When we come into contact with the unseen reality of God's kingdom, like, that should just, it almost should happen by, it's just a reaction. We can't help but be changed by it. And so just, hopefully a challenge is just, maybe what are some ways that your faith, you can grow in it being, in it becoming more, more visible? Okay, again, progress, not perfection. This isn't to, you know, to bludgeon, but th- this should exhort us, okay? So, so that's the first thing. And number two here, and this is for those who, this may be for those of you who are believers and you wrestle with doubts a lot, uh, or maybe you're here and you're exploring the faith and you're deciding, you know, whether or not to, to actually trust Jesus. And as we think about this idea of trust here, something that was, I had a major crisis of faith about uh, seven years ago, and something that was really helpful for me looking at this is to realize that reason and rationality can take you far, 
but they can never take you all the way to certainty with any major decision. Okay, so reason and thinking can take you a long way toward a major decision, but they can never take you to certainty. How do you get to certainty? You have to trust. Okay, so go back to our dating couple. Okay, some people, some people never get married because they want to reason themselves into being 100% certain that the person they're dating is the right person. Okay, now should you be thoughtful? 100%. Okay, but you can never be totally sure until you what? Until you trust. Until you make yourself a bit vulnerable. Same thing with choosing a job. You can research, right? You can use reason, but until you actually trust, you're not going to have certainty. And so when it comes to faith in Jesus, it's the same way. I mean, what happened with me is I was just doing, you know, I was spinning out in my head just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And what I need to be told is, you know, Steve, you can think all you, and that's good. God encourages thinking. But what you need to do, and this is, you know, for those who, who maybe you would count yourself a believer, but you doubt, is just keep walking and trusting, even when it feels untrue. And as you do it, you know, God will confirm himself to you. You know, all these people in chapter 11, Abraham, Moses, Sarah, did any of them have all the answers before God asked them to do crazy things? No, they didn't. But as they walked, their intimacy with God grew, their trust in God grew because he proved himself. Okay, and for those of you who are exploring the faith, I, I, I hope you're really thoughtful. I hope you ask really hard questions. But, but there does come a point where we have to step out of the thinking box and trust. Okay, and so, the, I mean, the beginning steps can look like what you're doing now, coming, coming to church service, reading the scriptures, okay, so the, exploring who Jesus is, but eventually you need to trust. Okay, and at first that'll look like what we talked about earlier in terms of just going before the Lord and saying, I, I have been living for myself rather than you who made me. Please bring me into your family by grace alone. And then number two, what happens is baptism is a step. And I know that there's others of you who may have been walking the faith for a little while but haven't been baptized yet. Baptism, it's a substantive uh, sacrament that Jesus gave us, right, where we exercise trust, right? And it confirms our faith because what happens is we're lowered in the water, we're, we're trusting, we're being made vulnerable. And then as we're being raised up out of the water, we're feeling what Jesus says is true of us, right? That he brings us from death into new life into his kingdom, it's just it's an invitation, whether you're doubting or exploring the faith, just hopefully this encourages you when it comes to, you know, eventually we do have to take a step out of the thinking box and entrust our life to Jesus. And so faith is, it's thoughtful, it's tangible, and then number three, what do we see here? It's transformative. Okay, transformative. So uh, there's an article that was written in the New Yorker recently, I think it was in the end of December by Perul Segal, and she's a, she's a staff writer and literary critic at The New Yorker, and she wrote this article uh, that I, I commend to you. It's, it's, it's worth reading. It's called The Case Against the Trauma Plot, and the subtitle goes, Fiction writers love it. Filmmakers can't resist it. But does this trope deepen characters, or does it flatten them into a set of symptoms? And in the article, what she describes is it's, it's a fairly recent phenomenon where, like, one of the most common plot lines in, in film and writing is to essentially develop a character by show, like, what painful experiences, you know, or suffering they went through in the past. 
and then, you know, traumatic experience and so forth. And then that's the primary way now through which that person is understood and by which the trajectory of their life, you know, like where it's going. And, you know, two examples she gives among many are, are Ted Lasso and uh, Wanda from WandaVision. And then she says in the article, uh, trauma has become synonymous with backstory, i.e. like trauma is your backstory if you've experienced suffering. The present must give way to the past where all mysteries can be solved. Now, now bear with me because I, I may not, and she may not be saying what, what you think is being said here. She's not saying that looking at someone's trauma doesn't help you understand them. You know, like, absolutely it does. But her critique here is she's saying when a person's present self and their trajectory, the primary way through which we're encouraged to understand that person is by by looking at their trauma and essentially reducing them to a set of symptoms, it does exactly that. It it flattens the person. And there's a bit of determinism there because often in these stories what happens is, is because of what's happened in the past, they're now set on this trajectory where there's very little or, or zero redemption. And so as, as we think about this, um, I was saying this article is helpful because, so is it helpful to, like, if, if you or someone you know has gone through something really hard in the past, is it helpful and often vital to look at how those experiences you know, have, have shaped you in the present? Absolutely. And have we as a culture, you know, in the church and outside of the church, often, you know, encourage people to just ignore stuff that's in our past, you know, often to the detriment of people? Absolutely. You know, and God often will deal with us, you know, according to what has happened in our past. And, and helping, listening to one another's stories about, about what's going on helps, helps us to understand one another. However, like what this article is pointing out is because, you know, what happens in the arts often impacts how we live, and then how we live impacts what happens in the arts. You know, there's a positive feedback loop that often goes on. And so I think our danger is sometimes we take these therapeutic categories, which are good, you know, in their right place. And I'm not a medical professional, okay? But we're not conscientious with how we apply them. And what can happen is we, we use this idea of trauma as a totalizing way of understanding ourselves and understanding each other. And so when we look at ourselves, or we look at someone else, we say, well, I guess because this happened to me, I'm just never going to be able to, you know, ABC. Or we look at someone else just through the lens of their painful past. Or it, it may not be a traumatic experience. It could just be your limitations. You know, you may think, well, I'm not, I'm not good looking like this person, or I'm not gifted like this person, or I'm not winsome and smart like this person, so I guess I'm never going to amount to anything special. But we look at someone else, we limit them to their limitations, especially if they frustrate us. Just every time we look at them, like we only see the bad stuff about them. But what does the gospel say? Okay, the gospel says something amazing. And we see this all throughout this chapter, but uh, we'll look at one of the places it's, it's concentrated in verses 36 uh, through the end of the chapter. So verse 36, this is talking about, you know, everyone in history who's lived by faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I mean, talk about traumatic experiences. But yet, how are they identified? 
Okay, what story are they put in? Jump to the beginning of chapter 12. This is speaking of these very people. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay, so these often falling, often hurting people aren't primarily viewed through their hurts or through their limitations or through their sin, but they're held up, they're immortalized in Scripture for us to be encouraged by. Why? Let's keep going. Let us run with endurance the race that it set before us as we look to these other people, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Okay, so Jesus begins our faith. It's he who first calls us, but then he perfects it. To, to perfect our faith means he, he perfects us. And to perfect us means he makes us whole and complete, lacking in nothing. And so the point here is that, and hopefully the, the net effect for this is so encouraging to you. Your hurts are real. And your limitations are, are real, but they aren't the most powerful driving force in your life. They don't define you. Okay, they might explain many things about you, but they don't set your story. They don't set the trajectory of your life. It's Jesus who defines you. It's Jesus who sets the trajectory of your life. Okay, and so what Jesus loves to do is to take hurting, limited people like us and then he, he repurposes all of your pain, all of your shame, all of your limitations to then use them for his global story of redemption, both personally and cosmically. And we, we see this all throughout chapter 11. So Moses was an orphan from the time he was a baby. Okay, and then he developed a speech impediment as he grew up. He was slow of speech. But then God meets him, and he says, I'm going to define you, not by your speech impediment, not by the fact that you're an orphan, but my power is going to be made perfect in your weakness as you lead my people out of Egypt. He comes to Sarah, Abraham's wife, who was old and barren in a, in a culture that said, you are nobody if you don't have a child. And he said, it's going to be through you that the Redeemer of the world is going to come. And so that your story is defined by my greatness and my power, not by your shame and by your weakness. He comes to Rahab, the prostitute here in verse 31. And she, she was probably a prostitute, not by choice. She was probably forced into it to pay off some kind of family debt. And he says, your story is not going to be defined by your occupation that so many people look down on in the world. But I'm going to use you to show the world that I love to lift up the lowly. Okay, you see her. She's in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. He says, I'm gonna, she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. And then she's put by name in the, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 1. And so it is for you. Jesus takes any limitation you have, any hurt you have, and then he repurposes it for your joy and for his glory. You know, as, as we look at these people, every single person in this chapter, and I wish we could have gone and just, you know, looked at each person one by one, you know that none of them had their deepest longings or dreams fulfilled before they died. 
every single one of them, you know, passed away still not having what they thought God had promised come to pass yet, not being fulfilled yet. But, you know, when we see them and we get to ask them in the new earth, was God ever not faithful to you? I, I bet I know their answer. And so, you know, as you look ahead, and because we all want the kingdom to come now, you know, and you should. You know, we, we have so many things we want now. You know, we, we say, I, I want my mom to stop suffering now. I want my loved one to stop suffering now. I want to stop being so sad. I want to stop feeling like I'm not competent, skilled, gifted, or happy like this, this other person. And what God says is, he, he, he doesn't say, shove those sorrows in a drawer. He says, take those griefs and bring them to me. And let me repurpose them within a much larger story where you become in union with a Savior, Jesus, who loves you to the uttermost and never lets go of those he loves and will hold you fast until that great day. That's why we use the word transformative. Okay, because if transformational means it just relates to a major change, transformational means someone actually has power to change you. Okay, so when you become, when you go into union with Jesus, he actually has the power to change you. You're a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. And then what Jesus says, because you belong to me, you still have so much to do and to enjoy and to be. You know, not just for your sake, but for other people in your life to bring them into my kingdom and to encourage them as well. So keep walking. Because while God may be slow, he's always faithful. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. Um, And I thank you so much that through union with him, we actually get to be made new uh, and to be brought into a larger story. And so I pray that you will help um, each and every person here uh, to become more thoughtful, and for you to, to answer their questions as they have them, um, to learn to walk in faith through tangible action, and perhaps most of all, uh, for all of us to be utterly transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit working through your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.